0: End it on down. Let the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Ghost come on down. I'm glad to see you this morning. Take your Bibles if you wouldn't find Romans chapter 13. We're going to begin reading verse 1 and read all 14 verses here in just a moment. Romans chapter 1, uh, Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. We will be ready for that as we continue our series on Live Like You Believe. Now, let me say thank you. Appreciate you being here today. Appreciate you being here many days. We have uh spent a lot of this year on and off. We haven't gone directly all the way through without a break, but we've been we spent lots of weeks in Romans and I appreciate you coming along. I've learned lots and uh hope that you have. So we continue on. You know we're kind of getting it is October, so we're getting toward Thanksgiving and Christmas and there'll be some other series and messages coming and but uh, we've got about uh, three more chapters that we're going to be looking at here in Romans that will help us, hopefully, to understand well, if we believe these things, then we ought to live like it, ought to make a difference in our life. And uh, appreciate Brother Jamie coming and sharing with us one who uh, lives, works, and serves and worships here in Auburn and Lee County. Appreciate the difference they're making in Lee County as well as all over the world and getting Bibles and. You've mentioned three or four of our members who are part of the Gideon service. He mentioned, of course, that they meet here. I think they passed out over 7,000 Bibles, Auburn University, this past week. So we appreciate the work. If you've not already given uh, through the offering plate that was passed, uh, there'll be folks at the door. You could even take the envelope and uh, give later. Probably it would be okay. I'm sure that they'll take it. But uh, what a great way to be able to give gifts, represent the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the reading of His Word. We know that it does not return void for which we're going to be reading today in uh, Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. This now is the Word of God. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word if you're able? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment." For because of this you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe one no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. In any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time and the hour has come to you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light." Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, in sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. May the Lord bless the reading of His Holy Word and you may be seated. There is a Rodney Atkins psalm that is out called Cleaning This Gun. And he describes a young man coming to his house in order to date his daughter, and then he begins to describe to his son how much his mom, her mom loves her, how much her dad loves her, and how she is worthy of respect. And then in case that's not enough, he goes on to say, he says, now you all go out now and have some fun. said, I'll be here all night, be here when you get back home, still cleaning this gun. Now he goes on to say, nobody's going to get hurt, but man, it works. Kind of reminding us that some people need a little more incentive. We're going to have this maybe simple yet profound duty today to be able to look at God's Word and be able to discover, particularly from what Paul says in Romans chapter 13, why it is we do what we do as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ what it is that we need to be doing, and when we find out what the greatest incentive is, we're likely to keep fighting the good fight to continue to do what it is that we need to do and continue to represent Jesus Christ well as we look at why we should do the right thing. Romans chapter 13 is a verse, particularly the first part of this chapter, the first half of this chapter, is often used in God and country services. In other words, when it talks about authority, we're going to talk about some of that and Hopefully, it will help us to be able to come. In fact, we've used these verses before, and usually the service before, maybe July 4th, we talked about God and country. But we're going to begin with the most basic reason of why we are good, the most basic reason of why we do what it is what we do. And we discover the best reason, the right thing to do and serve God, and the greatest incentive, incentive so that we might be ready in season and out of season. To serve Jesus. Paul tells us, Romans chapter 13, some people are good out of fear. Some people are good out of fear. Some people have the incentive of fear of punishment. Whether it is that they fear God's wrath, they fear the wrath of the government, maybe they fear what a parent might do to them, or anyone who might be an authority. First part of Romans 13 about being a good citizen, in a country in which you live and submitting to the government, the authority of that government... Let me remind you again, verse three that we read just a moment ago. You even have a blank to fill in there. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. As Christians, we have even a greater obligation to obey the law of the land. That is, that we have that is, as long as it's not against God's law. Now many Christians, and sometimes I've probably even said it too, we talk about having a dual citizenship. We have a citizenship in heaven and sometimes we say we have a citizenship on this earth. But I no longer say it that way anymore because sometimes I think that probably is our problem is that we may try to be citizens of both places and we try to give maybe dual authority to each. When we need to understand there is only one ultimate authority that we are to follow We'll discover even that more as we talk about this particular passage. But I do believe that we make better citizens of the United States, better citizens of the country in which we live when we give ultimate authority to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At the most, we realize that we have a permanent citizenship of our of, uh, in heaven while having a temporary citizenship on earth. And the more reason to be the best example under whatever government or authority we're living under today. Now... Many people, if they obey the law of the land or they obey the government, it's because they fear the punishment that government might inflict. And some people fear God's punishment. It's the most basic reason or bottom-level reason for a person to obey the law or any authority, even God's authority. The rise in crime is sometimes related to the lack of fear of punishment by a general public. Now... We're going to see other incentives besides the fear of punishment this morning, but Paul first tells us that to disobey the government is to disobey God. Now, some of the claims, let's just be real honest about it, some of the claims of Romans chapter 13 might be hard to swallow when you consider the corruption of governments over the centuries and in various parts of the world. The Bible says that no authority, though, on earth exists unless God has not only allowed it, but He has established it. God appoints all governments. They're divine appointments. To resist, to be disobedient to the present government is to resist the ordinance of God. That seems pretty incredible, doesn't it? I mean, there's been some very corrupt governments in history. Maybe what Paul means here is generally speaking, most of the time, government authority is granted by God. Surely not every single ruler, king, or president. No, no. That's not what the Scripture says. Every government. No government, no one in authority, no leader comes to power unless it is appointed and thus it is approved by God. And yes, sometimes people can choose the wrong leader, but God's authority and purposes remain steadfast. God's power is greater than any government or leader. It's His... Sovereign power, really that great? I want you to consider a ruler by the name of Octavian. Have you heard this name before? He began his rule at an early age with one goal. It was to conquer the world. He eliminated any rival or any opponent or any ruler that got in his way. He ruled people that did not want to be ruled by him. He became the most, if not one of the most, oppressive rulers ever in history. And at one time, he ruled all of the known world, from England to Asia to Africa. He could lift his finger and the world would go scrambling. And one day he did. Now, he had the greatest military force in history up to that time, a half million soldiers at his beck and call. But his military took money. So... One day he decided to take a census of his kingdom in order to get taxes and sent everyone to their own home in order that they might be counted and that they might be taxed. You know him by another name because one day he changed his name to Caesar Augustus, which means the the majestic one. We read about him every Christmas. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1 says, It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be taxed. In an obscure village in Nazareth, there was a poverty-stricken couple and she pregnant. And they had no choice but to make the dangerous journey from Nazareth to the small town of Bethlehem. Now who was it that sent Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, this city that had been talked about by an ancient prophet by the name of Micah to where the Messiah would be born? Caesar would say that it was him. The Bible says otherwise. Caesar also thought his kingdom was so strong that it would never fall and Rome would rule the world forever. But today, the only place that you'll find a palace for Caesar is in Las Vegas. And their motto is, there's a sucker born every minute. God's Word tells us God puts government in place for His purposes. We're, the, we're to obey the authority, the only exception, when obedience to civil authority requires disobedience to God's Word. The holy fear of God must be greater than the fear of government. The Apostle Paul imagine this. It was not long after this, of course, that Caesar Augustus did this very thing, but now he's under another Caesar, maybe worse than the first, or worse than the other, known as Bloody Nero. And there he writes these very things about the government, the oppressive government in which he was under. So Paul knew that there was times that he must defy the government because he found himself in jail because of the government, and eventually tradition tells us he was executed because of his faith and because he defied that very government. We have other examples. Acts chapter 4, Peter and the other disciples were arrested, and because they were preaching Jesus was resurrected from the dead, when they were brought before the Jewish rulers, Acts chapter 4, verses 18 and 20. It says, Then they called them in again and asked them and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Then they were threatened and released. Then the very next chapter, Acts chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, they're thrown in prison This time before the council. The council says in verse 28, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. He said, Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other disciples replied, We must obey God rather than men. How many people do what's right by the law for fear of punishment? The punishment from a government, though it can be corrupted, is authorized by God. And we as individuals are not instruments of God's wrath. But we're told in this passage that sometimes governments can be called the avenger. We're not called to be the avenger, but sometimes governments can be. Even being a good citizen is a test of living by faith. Even being a good citizen is a test of living by faith. When God permits people to be in power, they may be weak, they may be strong, they may be good, they may be evil, they may be Christian, they may be lost. But God permits all governments to rule because He has a purpose to fulfill, and He's able to fulfill His purpose even though there's misrule. Now that does not mean that we doesn't matter who we vote for. It does not mean that we should not be involved in government, local, state, and federal. In fact, we need to be involved. We have a greater obligation because we understand that God has a plan. His purpose and His ways is moving forward toward that plan. We have a greater obligation as Christians and as a general rule under most governments in history. If we do not want to fear the government, do what's right and what is good and obey the law. But doing what is right out of fear is one of the most basic reasons to do good. Paul gives us another reason to, good, to do good. Some people are good because of conscience. They want to have a clear conscience. Paul speaks to that very thing in verse 5. Romans chapter 13 and verse 5 says this, Therefore it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, not only because of fear, but also because of conscience. So if you want to move to the next level, you want to move from doing the right thing out of fear to moving Want to do the right thing because of conscience. It it would be the same thing as saying that you want to do what is right because it's your duty. You feel it's the right thing to do, it's your duty as believers, it's the right thing. Christian or not, we all have a conscience, sometimes called the observer within. As Christians, our conscience is enlightened by the Holy Spirit. We want to do the right thing so that we might have peace of mind and heart. And yes, so that we might not have a guilty conscience. I thought it interesting that the very next phrase after verse 5, found in verse 6, it says, this is the reason that you pay taxes, so that you might have a clear conscience. Now when I think of having a clear conscience, I think of being at peace. But it's just us talking here. Can I tell you that on April 15th, on tax day, if that's the day that I write my check or find out how much... This year I did it October 15th because they changed all the paperwork and it took me more time. But had but on those days, probably the last thing I'm feeling is peace. Maybe I'm feeling other things that are going on at that time, but it's the last thing that I'm usually feeling. But then I'm myself, well, if I didn't have any money, I guess I wouldn't have to pay taxes. Uh, and I remember what Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And Paul echoes this very thing when he says pay to all what is old in verse 7, including taxes. But I'm also reminded, what else did Jesus say? Render or give unto God what is God's. And everything belongs to Him. I I discovered a very valuable lesson, I think, when I was younger. I remember being in a junior high Sunday school class when I was a younger teenager, and a man was teaching that class very respected in the church. And he told us one day, he said... Everybody, he talking about taxes. Maybe we're talking about this very passage in Romans 13. And he said, everybody cheats on their taxes, on their income taxes. I guess he thought maybe us young men needed to wise up to the ways of the world. It so astonished me that I asked him, I said, do you cheat on your taxes? He said, sure, everybody does. Well, later that day or later that week, I had a talk with my dad to ask him about what I learned in Sunday school. And I learned two lessons. The first one is this. Not everybody's doing it. I mean, not everybody is doing wrong. And the second lesson is, even if everybody else is doing it, that's not a good reason to do it too. Sometimes you do things simply because it's the right thing to do. As God's children, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we realize disobedience and disrespect for the government is wrong. Whether or not those sins are punished... We also discover that obedience and respect for the government is right, whether we personally benefit or whether we even always agree or not. The U.S. government and the IRS, they have what used to be called the conscience fund. I think they call it something else now. This is a fund that the government takes in of people who have sent in extra money because they have a guilty conscience or because they've cheated on their taxes. One time someone sent in a check into the government... Check was about for $500, and the note went something like this. He said, I cannot sleep at night. I have cheated on my taxes. Here is a check for $500. If I still cannot sleep, I will send the rest that I owe. The government can only play the role of the parent of a young child. A young child that is being watched by the parent or under the parent's supervision, the child is good because the child does not want to get punished. At the very best, perhaps the child wants to please the parent, and they're always good, or maybe you won't in, as long as they're in front of the parent. But when they come outside the eyes of the watch care of the parent, then there's really the true test. Will the child do what is good and what is right? Paul's plea is to grow up. If we understand the reason that we do what we do and have the right incentive to do the right thing, we're more likely to remain in the will of God and be faithful and not fall away. I feel in a sense in this pulpit the freedom to be able to say whatever needs to be said. If we need to step on toes, that's okay. If we need to get in your face, it is all right. But I choose instead for the Scripture to be able to speak for itself and the Holy Spirit to do His work. It, in other words, I it is not our way, not my way, I don't hear it in our Bible studies, that it is our choice to make you feel guilty about all the things that you're not doing right so that you might straighten up and fly right. Because while that's a good reason, perhaps, we need to do, we understand we have a conscience and the Holy Spirit is at work in our conscience, there's even a better reason for us to be able to do what it is that we need to do. Romans 8.1 says... That we just talked about Romans 8 just a few weeks ago. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are to be convicted, it be from the Holy Spirit by the way of God's Word, and not because I or anyone else has convicted you or made you feel guilty. And if you are to continue to serve Him, it will be out of, not out of fear. It will be not out of a sense of guilt, or even simply because you'll have a clear conscience because that kind of service does not last. We have evidence of that all the time of people who falling out of service, falling out of serving and sometimes falling out of church. The right incentive to be good will cause you to remain faithful. So for to keep doing the right good and godly thing, it will be because of the best incentive which is mentioned here and we read it a moment ago. Jesus calls you to be good because of love. Jesus calls you to be good because of love. Verse 8 we read, Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Later, Paul will call this the law of Christ. More than once, it's mentioned in the New Testament, which is also referred to as the law of love. Well, what is the law of Christ? It is to live by loving God and loving others. We love and serve Jesus because He first loved us. His love is our best incentive to love others. To live... Owing no one anything but love is to live beyond reproach in every area of life, including how we handle money. Zacchaeus illustrates this, this insecure, dishonest tax collector. When he came face to face with the Lord Jesus, and Jesus changed his life and gave him a reason to do good and the right thing, Luke chapter 19 verses 8 and 9 says this, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here, and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him today, Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus was saved, not because he got all his financial affairs in order. He got his financial affairs in order because he was saved and he had experienced the love of Jesus. Fear did not do it. Even though he was a Jewish person, he did not fear God that he had cheated his Jewish uh, brethren. Conscience did not do it. Conscience had not stopped him from cheating his own people, but because he had experienced the love of Jesus and he wanted to share that love with others, he experienced financial freedom for the very first time in his life. To know no one anything but love affects all areas of life what we say what we promise our integrity in our relationships jesus said it the bible repeats it more than once paul repeats it here all the commandments are summed up in this love god love thy neighbor when we break the commandments it brings injury to others love does not we know that neighbor is not defined by geography or location the neighbor according to jesus is anyone who in need anyone who needs love love does not just keep us out of trouble. It goes out, finds what needs to be done, and does it. The Bible tells us, faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. Jesus teaches how to love. With the best incentive, loving God and others, you will not fall away. You will not fall away from doing good. Though love is the greatest incentive to live for Christ, the Apostle Paul gives us one further reason To walk faithfully. Jesus calls you to be good because of your salvation. Be good because of your salvation. Not to earn your salvation. Jesus has already paid the price on the cross for us. But because of your salvation, and particularly Paul says, because your salvation is at hand. Read again verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than we, we, when we first believed. We know that salvation is something, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, it's happened to us. We've experienced salvation the moment that we became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We continue to walk in that salvation. Here, Paul particularly refers to the part of salvation that we will experience fully in the future when Jesus Christ will return and we will, when we will be with Jesus We often look back and say because we are saved, that should give us incentive to live for Jesus and serve God. And it should. Romans 13 says, look to the salvation that will take place in the future. And every generation since the Apostle Paul has looked with anticipation for the return of Christ. He reminds us that He is returning, that we should be ready for His return and working diligently until that day. When will that day be? without being too trite. We know it's closer now than it's ever been. It's exactly what Paul said. He said in verse 11, Salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Jesus and His coming is to be preached and taught. If we believe in the return, then every day we ought to be found faithful. We read verse 12 a moment ago. It says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, night is a reference to this present time and the day to the time that Jesus will return. We're living in the period of darkness. Jesus is shining His light, though, in us and through us in this dark world, but there will be a day that is coming which Jesus will return. And verse 12 particularly tells us that will be a day that will be coming. We have these curious verses in Amos chapter 5 and verse 18 to where it says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you hope for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. Well, it's a curious thing we find in the Old Testament. Amos is writing to a disobedient people, a people who are not following God. So the difference on whether that day of the Lord when Christ returns, whether it be a day of day or it'll be a time of day or a time of night, will be on your relationship with the Lord. If you're a child of God or not, if we know that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, it's a day to look forward to. If you do not know Jesus, it is a day to dread. So the message to the unbeliever is that Jesus is returning and your days are numbered. Put your spiritual affairs in order and give your life to Christ. Today, if you're here in this place and if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know for sure that the day when Christ returns or the day that this life is over, that it will be a grand day for you, then we encourage you today to give your heart and life to Jesus. Don't leave this place wondering whether that will be a good day or not. You have opportunity even at the end of this service to be able to come and say, I want Christ as my Lord and Savior and I want to invite Him in. The message to the believer is Jesus is coming again. One day we will meet Him face to face. Be found faithful. Love and salvation, looking forward to the return of Christ, should be our greatest incentives to live different than the rest. The young, the new believers, immature believers need you as an example. And the lost world needs another choice, a different kind of life. So put aside, Paul says, these deeds of darkness. Just to give you a summary, drunkenness, sexual immorality, divisions, and jealousy are some of the things that Paul mentioned that we need to put aside. Drunkenness, sexual immorality, divisions, and jealousy. These may be attributes of a desperate reality TV show, but these are not to be the things that are characteristics of the believer's and the Christian's life. Put these aside so that we might be able to put on the armor of light. What is the armor of light? Well, speaking of darkness and night, someone was murdered in our neighborhood this past Thursday night, or at least that's when the body was found. I'll spare you all the details and all the gossip. Just encourage you perhaps to pray for that family. It's not something that certainly happens every day in places in which we live. And As you might imagine, there were a lot of ambulances and cop cars that night and lots being said and asked on social media. And Well, my goodness, I'm as curious as the next guy. I suddenly thought, let's grab that leash. The dog sure needs a walk probably saw more people walking their dogs that night than ever before but our neighborhood is a place in which people do a lot of walking and walked up to a group of neighbors that were standing near the scene said good evening without asking or saying a word they gave me the information i guess or all that they had they said someone had died but not of natural causes then one lady looked over at me and she said do you live in this neighborhood My first thought was, well, lady, I've seen you at the pool. But I didn't say that. But I imagine on a dark October night under a street light, she might not recognize me, or at least and I was fully clothed at the time. But this out-of-the-ordinary event, at least out-of-the-ordinary for our neighborhood, has brought great conviction to me. I speak to my neighbors, know some, call some of them by name. And even on some occasion, my wife and I, we've cut some of their grass and we've taken the garbage out when they were gone. We've even taken goodies and snacks, you know, on certain occasions and events. I've even prayed for my neighbors on occasion, invited some to church. But not near like I could have or should have. I'm confessing to you and at the same time committing to you a renewed pledge to seek to be a light for Jesus to my neighbors and to my family and to people in my sphere of influence. Will you join me in this? Not because of the wrath of God or because they're going to be judged, not because so that we might be able to have a clear conscience, but because the love of Jesus overflows in us to be lavished on others, deserving of it or not. And also because of salvation, both of our own and those who need salvation. Salvation. What does it mean to put on the armor of light as Paul talked about here? It means to put on Jesus. We put on Jesus. Make Christ the focal point of all that you do. And once you discover the real reason of why be good, you cannot help to continue to be good for Christ's sake. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you so much for the passage we've read today we thank you for the words that we've been able to sing and praise prayers have been lifted we know that you're in this place that you wait each morning to meet with us individually and even when we come together as a group and we thank you for that thank you for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us thank you for the love that you have bestowed upon us may it overflow to others thank you for the salvation that you give to us and the salvation that we will experience fully one day May these be greatest incentives that we might do what is good and what is right and pleasing in your sight and do what is best according to your will. May it be exemplified in our church, may it be exemplified in each of our hearts. We pray today, Father, if there's one who does not know you as Lord and Savior, they do not look forward to that day of the Lord, cannot say for sure that it will be a bright and shining day. And Father, day may be the day of salvation for them. We pray, Father, for any who are conflicted over their salvation, know that they're lost, but they'll come to know Christ. Give us incentive to share with others as well. Lift these prayers up in the precious name of Christ. Amen.